Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. What you're doing is you're taking away empowerment. If I am the only way you're going to have success in your life because I'm your coach, then you're always going to need me. You're always going to need me in order to get where you want. And I don't think that's what we're designed to do. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Eight years ago, my husband lost his health insurance and I was self-employed. I'd been working in conventional care up to that point in my career, and I was seeing gross mismanagement of the healthcare industry daily. The company I worked for was amazing, but the reasons we were treating the patients were completely preventable, and our small facility created about a million dollars per month in healthcare system burden due to these mostly preventable diseases. My nurse friends also shared stories with me of people faking chest pain for an ambulance ride just to get cigarettes. I did not want to be part of this broken model, and it weighed heavily on my heart. While frantically searching for options to my healthcare dilemma, I found Christian Healthcare Ministries, or CHM, which would allow me to submit medical bills for cost-sharing and reimbursement. CHM is a member-based nonprofit ministry and it's shared 100% of eligible medical bills for members since 1981. I've been a CHM member over eight years, and I love that it provides a healthcare solution for my entire family that's budget-friendly while also sharing the same values that include prevention and healing. I know where my healthcare dollars are going and who they are supporting, and I even have the option for maternity cost sharing. With the money that I've saved being a CHM member over the years, I've also been able to allocate our healthcare dollars where they matter most to my family. If you want to learn more about whether CHM could be a solution for you, there's a link in the show notes for getting more information, or you can go to chministries.org forward slash less stressed life. That's chministries.org forward slash less stressed life. When you use that link, it really helps them know if you heard the podcast 
And I hope that my story is helpful to you in case you are in need of a healthcare solution. All right, today on The Less Stressed Life, I have Nick Peggs, who's a growth mindset expert, certified behavior change specialist, and inspirational speaker who understands the desire to change why you don't and the mindset shifts needed to find success in any and all areas of your life. Applying the motivational skills he's used as one of New York City's top personal trainers and group fitness leaders with his behavioral change training, he's inspired thousands of individuals from peers in the coaching space to executives to unlock their own potential. His gift is that he provides a unique mix of high-energy coaching and empathetic listening to create a safe space for self-discovery that is as profound as it is exciting. And he's also married to the lovely Beatrice Boaz. If you have enjoyed her interview on the podcast around Theta Breathwork, or if you've been exposed to Theta Breathwork, she is the brains behind that. So I'm sure you wanted that as part of your bio as well. Welcome to the show, Nick. I absolutely did. It wouldn't feel right if it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. All right. I always like to get a little origin story on how some of this happens, especially after reading the second paragraph of your bio, that I didn't know that you were a personal trainer before I read your bio this morning. And so tell me about the transition. There's a natural surge about where I can see coaching coming to life there. And so I know we want to also kind of define coaching, but let's talk about your transition into kind of what you're doing now. What was the catalyst, the turning points, et cetera? Yeah. I spent 13 years in the fitness industry. I owned a gym in a fitness studio in Manhattan and one in Westchester, New York. And really loved the energy of the fitness world. I came right out of college, having gotten my degree in counseling and human services and went straight into the personal training space, which had always kind of been my side job throughout school. And I just fell into it. And within a very short amount of time, like a couple months, I was working with 50, not 50 clients, 50 clients a week, which doesn't even make sense. I mean, I was like, chopping clients into 30-minute sessions. And there were people in my local gym that I was working at that were struggling to get clients. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying it because it was the catalyst to what you're asking, which is like, what is working so well here? Because I'm not really that knowledgeable in the Mm -hmm. fitness space, like about wellness and actual exercise. I had learned a lot, but there were definitely people in the room who were smarter than me and more intelligent than me and had better skills in the fitness space. So that was the beginning of this, like something's working here that's different than just Mm -hmm. fitness. And as that continued over the years and I moved into my own business, separated from the big box style of the personal training stuff, I did personal training on my own, separated from the gym, and then ultimately opened up the group fitness studio or it was opened when I got there and I became partners with the owner and the founder. And I started to do the same thing and implement the same stuff in the group fitness training space. And what I found that was really interesting is that people were coming and getting these really profound results in a very short amount of time. And I didn't think I was doing stuff much different than most other fitness professionals in terms of fitness. I really didn't think I was doing anything that different. So it was shocking to me that people were getting such profound changes, not only in their physical wellness, but mentally. They were walking in and saying, I feel like my whole life's different. I feel like I have so much more opportunity. I feel like my energy is peaked. I feel so positive. I just, these classes are so special to me. So I really started to study what about it was so different than what I was seeing. And the short of it is that this founder of this company that I had walked into, he asked me at one point, I think I was 23 when this first happened. He said, I want you to read this book. It was called Attila the Hun. 
still have it over here somewhere. And it was really a pointless book, but it had some, you know, motivational quotes in it or whatever. He said, write down some of these quotes and, and say them in class. I mean, it's literally every class participant's worst nightmare is a 23-year-old kid who read like a thousand quotes and wants to come in and preach them to you and tell you how to live your life. So that's exactly what I did. (laughs) I walked in to class one day and it was like my first prime class and I was so fired up about all these people coming in and hearing me speak and do my thing, which I was terrified to do, but I trusted the guy that was telling me to do it. And I dropped all these quotes and it felt super uncomfortable. And this dude walks out of class and he taps me on the shoulder and goes, hey, maybe just talk a little less next time. And it stung. It was so embarrassing. It just killed me. And I said, I'll never do that again. What was so wrong about that? And I checked in on that, sat with that for a few days. And what I realized was that it was me telling people how to live their lives, telling them what to do and how to be. That felt so off and wrong for me. So the question became, okay, what's the opposite action here? What is the opposite of telling? And the answer that came to me was asking. So I went into the next class the next week. I said, okay, I have all these things in my head, but I'm going to come from an asking space, not a telling space. And that same dude walked up to me after class and goes, now that was something. That's what I'm talking about. I talked the same amount, but everything was rooted in questions. Who do you want to be today? How do you want to show up? What would excellence look like for you on this treadmill today? What does pushing yourself to the extreme really mean to you? Do you want to go to that level? What could it look like if? How would you feel if? That? So there's a lot of questions, which opened up possibility for people to ask questions of themselves, to ask different questions. And I really believe, whatever this is now, almost 10 years later, I'm really seeing that the quality of our questions create the quality of our life experience and like really getting it. Yeah, that's funny because that's what I was going to talk to you about a little bit later on. Great, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so I was going to ask you what was the stuff that you were implementing, but it was questions, asking questions instead of telling. this. Your story, your origin story reminds me of what we were talking about before we hit record, which is I was telling you how coaching was one of the most profound things that had hit my nervous system when I did it. But describing it to people in a nutshell sounds kind of lame. Right. Or it might. I mean, coaching sounds lame. And you were describing there's a dark side of let me tell you what worked for me. And then there's the asking questions and discovering your own answers. So that's like a very brief way to maybe describe it in one aspect. But what are some ways that you would describe what coaching is? Or even can you draw lines between that and therapy, perhaps? Because I've heard you talk about this and it it makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'll say this. This is all my perspective. I don't think I'm not going to be able to read to you like the what is coaching based off of the definition from, you know, the dictionary. Good. So here, my thought is this, is that coaching is a space that's designed to hold space for somebody else to grow and expand. Mm. I think it's less about there are parts of it where as the coach, you're delivering information. Like, this is what I've learned. This is what I know. This is my skill set. And I want to deliver that to you. That's part of the coaching experience, depending on what realm you're in or what industry you're in, for sure. I think more of the success of the coaching industry or the success that somebody can have working with a coach comes from somebody who's willing to not be stuck. I'm talking about the coach. The coach willing to not be stuck in the way that they have it, their righteousness. Like, listen, you need to do this way. 
more being in an exploratory phase with your client, like really exploring and starting to understand what is it that you want to create for yourself? What can we do, say, think, generate in order to get you there? And let's explore that. Not I know the exact path, which I think a lot of coaches do, and they put a lot of pressure on themselves to make their clients' dreams a reality. And it is such a crappy way to go about it because what you're doing is you're taking away empowerment. If I am the only way you're going to have success in your life because I'm your coach, then you're always going to need me. You're always going to need me in order to get where you want. And I don't think that's what we're designed to do. I have, like as humans. I have very strong feelings about this. This is once upon a time, someone asked me what word I wanted to use. And the word was empowerment. But some people use, they use high vibe or high frequency or high vibration. To me, the word is empowerment to mean those same things. This is how I interpret this. So I like to work, I like to view the world from like an empowered, disempowered lens. And exactly what you just said there is looking to someone else for the answers and asking, I've spent so much time thinking about this high quality question situation because the low quality questions are the most disempowered. That's your most disempowered state. When people are asking these very low quality questions, like literally, will you just tell me the answer to this? And so higher quality questions, as you said, are this empowered state. So moving people into asking high quality questions is kind of the real, is the real ask for me. It's like, oh, how do you help people find the high quality questions to ask themselves? So maybe let's unpack that a little bit. Oh, that's a good question. And I don't even know if I have a straight answer for you. What I find is that my gift is to be completely present in that space. And this is going to sound a little woo-woo because I think it actually is. There's a certain energy that happens between two people, between a practitioner and a group, an audience and a speaker. There's a certain energy that happens when the leader or the two people involved or the group is involved and everybody's present there, letting what comes up direct the conversation. Mm. Like I challenge you to think about this, listener. Think about a moment when you were trying to think of the next thing to say while listening to somebody and how confusing or uncomfortable that conversation actually was. Instead of when you're captivated by a conversation, you're deeply connected with somebody, you're going back and forth and just jamming and it feels so natural. I believe that coaching really is that. It's holding a space where I'm actively in this. I think I, I was initiated in this, A, through my parents because they're just great listeners, but B, through counseling and human service degree that I got in school, like they really talked about the difference between listening and, and active listening, being fully present and letting the conversation create the next question. Not like, oh, here's my list of questions. And whatever you say, I'm kind of listening, but really, I just want to get to my next question. That's your agenda. And that's you just trying to keep yourself safe. It's really diving in when you're open and prepared to let whatever comes up, come up. And then just be with that take that pause and then feel into it. Like for me, I just feel into my gut, into my heart. And I'm like, okay, what does that question bring up for me? It's why I love doing podcasts. Like I love to just be in curiosity with you and not know, I have no idea what I'm going to say, what we're going to talk about. One of my favorite things is when we get on a call and you're just like, all right, you ready to rock? You know, like it's just the best feeling because we get to co-create something that never, ever existed ever before. 
from two unique human beings that have never been created on this planet before in a time that's never happened before with completely unique perspectives because of our life experiences and our filtration systems and the way we see the world and our perspectives put together. It's creating something that has never existed. That is divine. That's true divinity in my experience of the word. Yeah. I believe that if we allow that in a coaching experience, magic comes through. Yeah. I like the word divinity. I was going with opportunity. I was like, this feels like opportunity, but it's also divinity. So that's cool. All right. Let's continue to circle around asking high quality questions and filling that in because I think that is, as you stated at the beginning, that's what life really is. And I would say that is the single catalyst of why I'm happy in my current business is I got asked the right high quality questions at the right Mm -hmm. time that stopped me from going down a rabbit hole of me just creating something that I thought someone wanted, right? It was like more of a question on how do you provide the best service to someone? I actually have two high quality questions I use to define all decisions in my business. One is what's in best service to my clients? How do I create the best possible experience? But the second filter is without burning myself out because the first doesn't happen if the second happens, right? So like that one, that's a contingency piece of it as a human. Back to your 50 clients a week, which like doctors see maybe 15 people a day, maybe more, right? And so I think time is always the interesting piece of like, how do you actually show up in a present state? And I think when you are really burned or pulled between lots of people, I think that takes a lot of, for me, a, a chronic overscheduler person. My personality is like, oh, chronically overfilling the plate. It takes a lot of experience and failing forward to understand like, what's the limit of being really present for someone and not overdoing it. So that way you're like feeling really kind of scattered in lots of places. I'd be yeah. curious how you handle that. Well, I have a question for you, if you don't mind, because I think this is fascinating. First of all, I love how unique, I mean, maybe there's generic pieces to that question, but the unique combination of who or what does it look like to best serve my clients or who are those people? And then how do I do that without burning out is such a unique combination. Like it's an equation that fits perfectly for you and where you were at when you were starting your business. I think that's the beauty of these questions is that somebody could hear those questions and be like, That's not that high quality. Like it just sounds like a basic question. But the power is that whoever you were working with had the awareness of where you were at really listened to you enough to understand, okay, she needs to be asked this question because she's not seeing this. It's a blind spot or she's just kind of going over it. So my question for you is, do you think you could have came up or you would have came up with those questions on your own? Or was it a huge service to you to have somebody who was looking at you and analyzing, and then reflecting back and offering you powerful questions. I think context is helpful to help this sink in. And in true transparency, I don't think my coach gave me both questions. I think I had the second one. Okay, so what the situation was, is I was already in business for a long time, and experiencing the thing that happens when you're in one-on-one care, where it's like, I love doing this, but I am also really teetering on burnout, right? It would be a weakness to say that I was dealing with burnout, So I wouldn't say that, even though that was probably the reality. But I I knew it was an issue. And I think it's an issue for most providers and practitioners that pour out, right? It's like if you're pouring out, you're often pouring your whole cup out often, unfortunately, because you're maybe a giver. I think that can happen pretty easily. So I remember I was trying to figure out what changes or structures needed to happen in my business to make it sustainable, right? Let's just say it like that, like literally make it sustainable. So I was looking at reconfiguring how I was serving clients in a program. 
And there was, and obviously the thing that comes up in businesses is like, oh, well, how you go to group coaching? Well, to be perfectly honest, I don't always think that is the most valuable. And she caught that statement. She said, Mm -hmm. oh, I hear what's going on. You think that if you do some group element, it's much less valuable. So the question you must ask yourself is, you don't have to think about these details. You just simply just need to think about what is the most high value thing that you can give to this client that solves their problem. And at that point, it became a game. So for me, I like to gamify things. And you, yes. I mean, this is knowing your strengths, weaknesses. At that point, everything became fun and became a game. Like, oh, I know the exactly how to do that. You know, I know exactly the steps to follow to potentially like help this and that. Like if I had this person come in with this in this condition, I know that generally following this framework will help. Now that might give you some friction based on what we just said, right? And that's where the challenge is because there's, I think there's a huge opportunity for coaching no matter where. So I think about health from a, a triad. That is the nutritional angle, which is where I hang out, right? That's gut health, deficient, these toxicities and deficiencies. Let's say it like that. There's the structural angle. What's going on in the environment? the actual structure of the body, et cetera. Like that could be multiple things, the integrity of the skin, external things. And then what's the emotional, overall emotional component. But try as I might, it's pretty hard to stay in just that corner because your emotions, you know, think about, if I think about you in personal training, I would think about that being the structural component, right? Like actual muscular muscle development, right? But you couldn't stay out of the emotional piece. It was not possible, not even possible. So for me, I am teetering between in my business often. Can I lay out a plan and customize it to you? And you understand the framework because I want you to be empowered. I don't want you relying on me. I want you to be able to understand how to answer your own questions based on understanding a, a general framework you can apply to your certain situation. But then the challenge is when there's some kind of emotional hang up, right? Of like self-sabotage of sorts, right? That's really what it boils down to. And so I got kind of far from your question, but it was essentially a game on how do you create the best possible outcome for your client? Cool. Let me just map that out. And then I added on the, but not burning. Because, and this came up when I was doing breathwork certification with Bia, there was a guest speaker, a business speaker in the program. And she said, I always ask people, you know, feedback on how to change. Absolutely. Wonderful. Like that's how you improve things. The reality is a lot of people want you to spend, to be their only provider. Like, You know, it's being a wedding photographer. Every bride wants you to make her feel like you're her only, she's your only client. And so that's a true reality. Anytime you work with one-on-one, it's just the human nature of it. And so I had to come up with that second lens and I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's like, because it would be very easy for a lot of people to mistakenly say that the best way to serve my client is to give them as much, like, you know, to see them constantly. I mean, I do. I can access every person every week if they want to be accessed, right? If they want to ask questions or or have coaching. But the reality is that's actually a pretty disempowering place because then you don't get the opportunity to answer any of your own questions as well. I love that. Great story. I think it's really important because again, it's giving context to the power of the questioning and the importance of the space that was created for you to not only hear the first question, but bring up Okay, because I was asked that question, I also need to add the what's burning me out or what does it look like to not burn out? You know, mm-hmm. so I think it's really powerful. 
Well, and I think the other thing that helped through that was kind of going through core values and identifying mission, which I think has to happen in business. Otherwise, you get a little convoluted and just the mess of like, oh, this isn't like, you know, I think we're all looking for a lot more purpose in life, right? The emotional piece. And so understanding what the mission, the purpose and our mission is that everyone deserves a less stressed life. And so it's like totally in misalignment with what I'm called to do in the world if I'm burned out. Like, I mean, no one's a good practitioner if they're burned out, to be honest, right? Of course. So that's always a challenge of any clinician trying to support other people is like, everyone's actually just a human at the bottom. So on the note of being human, as we continue to circle around, how do you continue to ask high quality questions? I want to talk about a problem that is really challenging for me in practice, which is unrealized stress. High performers very commonly view certain words as the opposite of a badge of honor, right? As a weakness. You heard me say like, oh, probably couldn't have said I was burned out. It looked real weak. And I would imagine if you're working with high performers, you see this sometimes. And you probably don't, you know, for me, I'm looking at the downstream physiological effects of stress. And so having people have self-awareness is really important to me. But sometimes people are like, well, I know they're stressed, but I don't see any way around it. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your feelings about this, about unrealized stress, about helping people see. I think the real question is helping people see when they're kind of like the bottleneck or self-sabotage, which is kind of, I think, one of your fortes, right? Like, how do you help someone wake up to the stuff that they know? Yeah. I just recently, it took six years to put together a website. I, I mean, it took three minutes, actually, and 24 hours to put the thing up. But six years of like avoiding it and not doing it. And recently after I sat and I was just kind of connecting with myself and and looking for some awareness of like why I was asked to put together a website for an event. And this idea came up that really helped me clarify what it is I do for people that I think applies to what you're talking about here. And this sentence came to me, which said, I help people get off their own mental merry-go-round and wake them up to the possibility that lives in every breath through profound connection and conversation. And I was like, oh, okay. I've been waiting for this, like, what the hell do I do statement for quite some time. And that really registered with me because I think what has to happen for people is there needs to be a true paradigm shift if they want it. And the more that I work with high performers are a byproduct. I mean, this is a history conversation because when I look at my parents and my parents, and the group after that, there's a reason why each generation is the way they are. And of course, there's outliers. But my grandma died recently, two years ago, a little less. I remember. And Yeah. And my mom, it was my mom's mom. My mom did part of the eulogy. And she said in that eulogy that the thing that she admires most that, that my grandma taught my mom was to work hard to just buckle down and work hard. Now, my grandma, my grandpa on my mom's side, were just hard workers. My grandpa was in the Marines. My grandma was a trailblazer woman. It worked in IBM for years, absolutely killed it, built one of the first community theater programs in New York, like just really powerful, kick-ass woman. And she worked really hard. And she taught my mom that. And it's interesting to watch the beauty that comes from hard work sometimes and the danger that it creates for most people and that people have received from parents, work hard, you get success. That is just simply not a true statement all the time. Like ask the question, this is one of the most powerful questions you can ever ask. 
This is very similar to Byron Katie's The Work. She asks the question, is it true? Just ask that question. Now, when I say, is it true? I'm not talking about like, do you think it's true? I'm asking fact versus your thoughts on what you think is true. A fact is a non-negotiable, like it's proven this isn't kind of maybe sort of subjective thing. This is like objective realities. And when you start to realize how many of your quote unquote truths are just stories or things you've told yourself, like money doesn't grow on trees, like hard work makes you money. Like the story that I often tell, and I get a lot of backlash for this and I get why, but like the same cleaning people, my parents hired a cleaning service with this company when we were like six and they were amazing, still are same company. They've never even asked for more. They don't get paid more other than the inflation that has gone up in those last whatever, 25 years than they did on day one. And they work the same effort in the same house. Just because you work harder doesn't mean you get more results. It can mean, it's possible that it can mean, but it doesn't always mean. It's not a fact. It's a possibility. So what I invite people to, specifically high performers, is that potentially the way in which, and this is super triggering for a high performer, by the way, so I'm open to all the backlash with it because all I want to do is open space for a new perspective. My offering is that maybe even though your whole life has been defined by harder work or more effort or less sleep or more grind, that was a taught system that you embraced from a very young age. That's school taught us. Same with failure. Why are we all so shitty at failing and not getting up and just trying again? Well, because at some point in school, when you got an F, what happened? You got in trouble. And then the teacher called your parents and then your parents put you in timeout or whatever. You created this system that an F, a fail, a not getting an A means you're bad. And then we're wondering why people are scared to start businesses or we're wondering why people are scared to go into relationship or scared to say, I love you or be seen and be vulnerable. Well, because if they get seen and it doesn't work out, they failed and failing is bad. And this happens in all different domains of our lives. So very big question, as condensed as I can make it, is that when I sit with high performers, I often... I'm often the first person in their entire life that gave them permission to safely be in a space where they can ask the question, do you want to work harder? Does working harder actually create what you say you want? Is that the lifestyle you want to live? And I give them permission to just step outside of the box they call life and look almost as an observer of the experience of their life. It's like them looking at the frame of their life rather than being in it. And when they have that first taste of that, this is when performers go from, I'm making a million dollars a year and my business is killing it and I'm miserable on the verge of suicide. I've lost my marriage or my kids hate me or money, like I'm thriving in my marriage, but I make no money and I'm miserable or whatever. There's like these very high peaks, very low lows. When I take that high performer and I start to ask these questions that take them out of their current paradigm, they start to explode, but they do it like water down a stream, not like hiking up the stream, trying to push the rapids out of the way. They just become the water. They start to flow with life. They make more money. They have better relationships. They feel healthier. And their gut health, by the way, almost always improves like their stomach issues. It's almost always, it's like 97% of the time, this is my story too, that these gut issues are a byproduct of the stress that they're under. 
And when they release the stress by becoming the water rather than resisting it, their whole life shifts. That's a very attractive analogy to become the water instead of pushing against it, as I literally was in all senses of reality walking up a stream yesterday. And I have a bruise on my back from it pushing. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was in pursuit of a waterfall. And, you know, as a total side note, I posted in my stories some lyrics from TLC. Do you know how few people appreciated? They, they did not pick up on don't go chasing waterfalls. Apparently, I got the wrong. <laughs> okay, I want to unpack some of what you talked about. Okay. And I'd like to be a little devil's advocate as well as being supportive. And I think context is important. You work with high performers and I work with a lot of high performers and high performing looks like a lot of things. It's like okay. having a perfect home, children, career, whatever. And you talk about getting that F in school. And that was something I learned from my coach as well. And I have to witness all the time. It's like all experiences are good experiences because you're going to learn from every single one of them. And no one wants to, I would say, as I continue to just kind of sit back and watch the human experience unfold as people are going through healing journeys, no one wants any more pain. They don't want to fail. They want to know the future because of safety, right? This is like a duh for you, right? But it's like, okay, very interesting. And so unpacking why people don't want failure and what that creates, that creates perfectionism, which creates a lot more stress because we're trying to be perfect all the time. And so the devil's advocate is when you're working with high performers, usually they're working really hard already, right? And so they may need to look at it from a different space because they're like, eventually, and I've, I've been at this juncture in my own business where someone's like more and the world, as you look around, will often make you feel like you never have enough. And there was this catalyst that was like, what the hell is the point of this? This is not fun, right? Like, I do not want to be walking up this stream. This is not, as you described, it's like, if you are doing really well in one area, there's probably another area of your life that is struggling. And I can be the first to admit that I'm like, this year I'm working on all of my relationships with my kids and husband. Because I'm like, I've just been like, had my nose down because it's easy to work. Back to hard work. What happened? So the situation that happens, as you know, right, is that people view their work as their worth. Right. And so when that feels like your purpose, all of a sudden life starts to feel kind of empty and like, oh, that's actually not my purpose. And so it's like this big midlife crisis at any age. Right. Yep. But you asked, there was a really beautiful, high quality question there. I think the even higher quality question is does working harder create the life that you want? Yeah. And is that true? I'd like to really reflect with that for a moment. I think that's a really good one. Yeah. I mean, I'd invite anybody who considers themselves a high performer or not. Like maybe you don't see yourself as that, but really ask that question. Is hard work the answer to the problem that I'm facing or the challenge that's coming up? Because it's not always the case that working harder is going to get you better results. There are moments where that will fit. There are also moments when sitting and spending more time in quiet or meditating or connecting with yourself or turning the computer off will actually get you better results in work. But you won't allow that to be because you're so committed to your story that the only way to get better results is to work harder. And again, so much of this just goes back to the reality of what I learned in fitness, like the technical of it. And you talked about that triad before. And we said this in the beginning with coaching, there are moments when it's like, here is the science behind this thing. So I'm going to teach you the science because A plus B equals C type of thing. Then there's the emotional side, which gets a little more ambiguous. It gets a little more creative. You can start to mold it. There isn't just a right answer. And I think the the spot of the coach is to know when it's like, hey, this plus this equals this versus 
what are you feeling about this? Let's work through this. And I think that in the fitness industry, I learned that if you work out six hours a day lifting, there was a time in my career when they called me the booty master. I was really good at helping girls build glute muscles because that's what girls wanted. It was a great avenue to like make money, interestingly enough. And I would do these lower body movements. And the biggest challenge I faced is that when a girl was really committed to getting a stronger butt, she would try and do the butt exercises every day. And I said, in order for you to get the results you feel like you want, I need you to not do anything tomorrow other than go for a walk or other than lightly walk on a treadmill or other than stretch and mobilize your body or do Pilates or whatever. We can't just keep breaking down and expect to build up. And I think that high performers live in this same mentality where they think that if I wake up every day at 4 a.m. and I grind and hustle and don't do anything but that until midnight, and then I do it again the next day, that I'm going to break through. And the truth is you might break through. You might get to a point where you reach a certain level of success. And that's a really scary place to get to because when you think you're going to have what you're actually after, this is another massive question. Ask yourself, what do I think that thing that I'm after is going to get me? If it's money, if it's a big business, if it's that relationship, what's the need under the need? So people say, I want to make a million dollars a year. Why? So I need the million dollars. Why? To pay my bills. Okay. Why? So that I can build another business. Okay. Why? So that I can have more money. Why? And you just keep asking the why. What you will always trickle down to is a word. And the word is something like peace, or I want freedom, or I want to be joyful, or I want energy. Like there's always a word if you just keep opening. So I think that the more that I can get that out of people and understand what you want is peace. The money isn't going to get you there. And the scariest thing in the world is the Robin Williams of the world who think that making enough people laugh will make him feel a certain sense of peace or freedom or fulfillment or joy. And he gets there making the entire world laugh nonstop. And he realizes that never gave him what he actually was looking for. He thought he was going to travel through the journey of all this stuff open that final door, and it wasn't in there. It was at the first door the whole time. The peace you want, the joy you want, the money that you think, the stuff that you think money is going to give you or fulfill, or uh, financial success, business success, relationship success, whatever you think it's going to give you, it already exists right here. Why not just receive it and then go on that journey to whatever you want to create with that already a part of your life? That, I think, is the eye-opening, jaw-dropping, oh-my-God moment for a lot of these high performers that felt like they had to give up so much of all of this stuff to go get all of this stuff when it's been here the whole time. And that's where the backlash comes from mm -hmm. because it's an identity thing, and now I'm attacking their identity. Right? A lot of people who are high performers who have lived the last 20 years hustling and grinding for their family with the right heart and the right mindset and the right intention are pissed at what they're hearing and thinking I'm an arrogant jerk for saying what I'm saying because I'm attacking their identity. And I get it. I get it. I went through this with myself, like really having struggle identifying who I was because for the first time, I gave myself permission to say, sleeping three hours is not going to get that peace that you think you want, or it might not. And the moment I started to just play with that idea, life started to just look a little different. It was painful. It was confusing. I didn't know who I was. I'm still in that process in a lot of ways of stripping old identity patterns. 
But I just invite you to look at it from this space of not Nick is right or this guy is right or wrong or whatever. Just ask yourself the question, what do you really want under the need? I need the money. Why? What's under there? And then can you just be that thing, peace, joy, freedom, fulfillment? Can you just be it now? That's a choice. And I think we all have that choice and we can make it in this present moment. I wanted to ask you what kind of questions you're asking yourself as you're unpacking your identity, which I feel like is for sure a journey, maybe not a destination that you just arrive at forever. And I know you just gave us one, but since you're still unpacking that yourself, can you think of any yeah, well, you had to ask yourself as you... I, th- I think the identity. most important thing is that you're using the word really well, which is unpacking. You're not packing. You're not packing the stuff. You're unpacking the stuff. That is the context shift that really needed to happen for me was that I'm not trying to create an identity. I'm trying to unpack the identity I've created for myself. And this happens for a lot of us. Once we go through the stage, isn't it crazy? Like the beginning of our lives, at least for me, I spent most of my life, and I think most of us do, in the beginning, trying to fit in, yeah. be- become a part and of be a accepted. tribe. Be yeah, accepted. be accepted. Not I thought make people be, angry, oh. which I would think would be kind of hard in your situation. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Happens quite often. <laughs> yeah, like I think that I spent all the way up until post-college, most of my life, trying to find a space that I can fit into. And I would consider myself according to like what society would say, a pretty confident guy, a, more of a leader type. And I still was like, how do I fit in this group? How do I feel love in this group? How do I mean something in this group? And it was always about fitting in. And then there's a point, I think for most of us, where what we want to do is now we want to stand out. We want to be someone different. We want to have that money that most people don't have. We want to stand out in the realm of relationship, in the realm of our health. We want to be outstanding. Literally, the word is to stand outside of the regular population. But we've trained ourselves for so many years to be a certain way, to fit in, to be in the group. So I think as I'm working through this identity thing, it's more of a stripping away what I think is me more than it is trying to figure out what is me. And what I would ask myself on a regular basis and continue to is, who am I not that I'm currently being? That's a good one. Yeah, like who am I being right now that isn't what I authentically want to be, that isn't me at my heart and at my soul? Mm -hmm. I love that. Opens up a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. All right, I have one more that's challenging. So I think that sometimes you are in rooms coaching individuals that don't realize what's coming to them. Maybe that's always coaching. But I think you work behind the scenes in a business program, which means that people are signing up to XYZ grow their business and then you're going to be over here helping them work through their crap. So I imagine that you would encounter some hardness, some walls. And so I think this happens a lot. Anytime you're coaching women, I think that this question comes up all the time. Like, well, what if my husband isn't on board? Or if the person is just resistant in general to unpacking that, right? Or they're like, this doesn't apply. It's like, well, that sounds nice. Or they're maybe they haven't felt open to it before. How do you navigate some of that hardness? Yeah. In the beginning, I thought that it was my job because I was hired in a position to like help these people. And this is in multiple different facets where I've been called in to to work specifically with entrepreneurs, business owners. My thought was that it's on me to get them there. And 
unfortunately, and this is where it gets tricky with business, like people pay you to do a job, right? And I make a commitment to giving it everything I can to be present for those people, but I am not so confused that I think I'm going to get this person anywhere. It is that person's willingness to show up and see themselves and the stuff that they're walking, the limitations that they're walking in that offers an opportunity for change. So a lot of times the sad part for me was, it's not sad anymore, it was that I couldn't change this person and I couldn't shake them out of their shit and I couldn't move them into the next season of their business or their life. And what I learned was that I get to meet them where they're at, mm-hmm. not try and get them where I am or where you know that we want the business wants them to be. I just want to meet them where they're at. And the more that I did that, the softer the experience has become over the last few years, the more patient and loving and transformative the experience has become. Because now, again, it's just the questioning. People walk themselves into a corner in the work that I do. They just walk themselves into the corner of their own BS. And as they back up and back up and no, this is this way, this is this way. I'm like, okay. And if that's this way, then what? And if that's this way, then what? The next thing you know, you've walked yourself into your own cage. And then I ask very simply, this is all fine. I'm not fighting you. Do you want to stay here? Because your current paradigm says, this is where you're going to stay. Says you, not me. I don't have an opinion. You just told me all these things that put you in this corner. Do you want to keep that? Or are you willing to see something different? And this is not where I start dropping knowledge because I don't have any knowledge for them. This is where I start asking a question and say, are you open to seeing this differently? Are you open to trying a new way? What could a new way look like? Not here's the new way. Let's do this for the next week. Here's what you need to do. I don't do that because in my line of work, I'm sure, like I said, in that triad, there's certain things that you have to tell, like we're going to do this. My line of work has very little of that. My line of work is constantly opening space for exploring a new way. So my hope is that people, the more that they ask questions of themselves, they back themselves into their limitations where they're either just going to sit there and live in those limitations or because they've gotten clear on what the blockages are. Now they get to make a choice, stay in them or move forward, try something new, be someone different. I think that's where the freedom lives. And when it comes to the business coaching stuff, it really gets tricky because people want money. They want a big business, which offers freedom and whatever. And when I can get them clear that there's a need under the need and they get it, that what they're after is joy and that the business isn't going to get them joy. They may feel joy with the business. But the business isn't the reason for the joy. It's that they've associated the business with joy. This is the craziest part. If they're waiting for the business to show up to feel joy, then the business is never going to show up. Because what's going to attract the joyful business is being joy before the business exists. So be it. My theory is be, do, have. This was taught to me years ago. And it was just like the most eye-opening, duh, awareness. Just be it first. And then do the things that align with it. You want a joyful business, a business that brings you all the joy in the world? Be that joy with zero dollars in your bank account. Be that joy before a business has ever started or an LLC has ever ever filed. Be that first. Just be it while you're starting it. You will start to attract that joyful business just by being in the space of it. This is a it's a beautiful thing. And actually, what's kind of fun for me is since my focus is right now relationships and family, I'm gonna go have some of these conversations with my kids, which will be cute because with entrepreneurs, when you ask them if they want to live in that space, they're probably like, no, 
when yeah. you ask an 11 year old if they want to live in that, they'll be like, yes. Right. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right, Nick, where can people find you on the internet? Well, the now I have a website. About to have That's been fun. looking for about a year. Yeah, it's only taken six years. My name, Nick Pags, P-A-G-S-L-C.com has my stuff there. I've got a free Telegram group on there, which is my favorite thing to send people to. It's just like voice notes every day with these types of conversations and like the insights that I'm having every day. I just drop them in there. And it's a really great way to expand your consciousness, to ask yourself the right questions. So that's on there. You can find me on Instagram at I am Nick Pags. I haven't posted in a year and a half. I've been on pause for quite some time, but I got a lot of content over there from the last few years. So there's plenty to go enjoy. And I still access DMs in there. So people write to me all the time. So feel free to reach out. We're going to be at the Summit of Greatness coming up very soon. I don't even know if this will air before that, September 7th in Ohio speaking there, be able to do a Theta Breath work there. Uh, and we got a lot of events and retreats and all that. And that's just once you're in our community there, we'll keep posting to you guys and sharing all our stuff. Cool. Well, I'm off to join your Telegram group. It's like threads without any distractions. Just it's great because it's a broadcast. There's no back and forth. It's just yeah. me. You can't write in it. So it's oh, just nice. like getting a little message every day. Your phone's not going to blow up. It's not going to be all these people responding. It is just a message every day of love to be able to receive and ground yourself. Yeah. A little pup feeling joy. Pup feeling. Yes. From Nick. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for See having me. See you in October. See ya. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to review this podcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's review this podcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.